Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be uh, speaking about um, academic freedom and the uh, report that I've recently issued with the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology, as well as my earlier 2020 policy exchange report, um, Academic Freedom in the UK. So really want to begin with two key concepts uh, within universities and amongst the professoriate. The first is punishment, and the second is political discrimination. Punishment, uh, by punishment I refer to administrative penalties from being fired from your job all the way down to being uh, removed from administrative roles such as department head or given fewer uh, resources uh, for research, for example, or being told to teach courses you don't want to teach. That's an administrative punishment. What we find in my reports is that one in three conservative American academics have experienced either uh, direct discipline from uh, some layer of the administration or threats of discipline, one in three. So when people say that uh, academic freedom is a right-wing moral panic, I think it's important to remind them that, in fact, we have a very pervasive problem in the academy. The second arm of coercion is political discrimination. Um, In my work on Britain, I find that one in three British academics would not hire a known Leave supporter, that is, who supported the Leave side in the European referendum. I find that over 40% of American and Canadian um, academics would not hire an own Trump supporter. Now, these are positions that command either close to or over a majority of the population. Um, And so it's absolutely astounding that we have this level of discrimination going on uh, in hiring. We also have discrimination in refereeing uh, papers and especially grant applications that is in a similar range. So these are the constraints, punishment and discrimination, constraints that particularly political minorities, notably conservatives, but to some degree centrists as well, uh, particularly in North America, are operating under and also gender-critical feminists. Um, For example, gender-critical feminists are the most no-platformed group in Britain, and only fewer than 30% of American and Canadian uh, social science and humanities academics would feel comfortable sitting down to lunch uh, with a gender-critical feminist academic. These two prongs of coercion, punishment and discrimination, produce profound chilling effects. And in fact, no platforming is not the biggest problem, although it is a symptom and it is a problem. It is not the most important threat to academic freedom. The greatest threat is, in fact, the chill effect produced by punishment and discrimination at the everyday level. For example, three-quarters of British and American social science and humanities academics who are conservative report that their departments are hostile rather than supportive environments for their political beliefs. Uh, In the U.S., fewer than 10% uh, of Trump-supporting academics report that they would be comfortable uh, revealing their views to colleagues, and um, 85% of uh, those who did not vote Trump, that is mainly Democrats supporting academics, agree that a Trump supporter would be uh, uncom- would not be comfortable sharing their views. In Britain, it's uh, close to 70% of Remain voters who say a Leave voter would not feel comfortable, and it's about 80% of Leave voters. So we have a really profound chill that shuts down a lot of conversations. That then leads to self-censorship. Self-censorship, 70% of conservative American academics say they censor themselves in teaching and research and in conversations. 
Um, that's an astounding figure, and it is almost 40% among centrists, not just conservatives. We have centrists in North America massively self-censoring. So what we have here is a system of punishment and discrimination leading to chilling effects and self-censorship. This is the big threat to academic freedom. That then filters into graduate students. Conservative graduate students, 53% say their views would not fit in academia, and this predicts them not being interested in an academic career. Um, it's not about the money. Money and, and the pay in academia is actually not, actually not something that distinguishes left-wing and right-wing graduate students uh, in their desire to, to go down an academic track. It is, in fact, this sense that their political beliefs don't fit that is having a significant deterrent effect on conservatives from entering academia. So between the deterrent effects, the discrimination, and the ambiance um, that is produced in academia, we get the emergence of a monoculture. In my data, I find there are 14 on the left, everyone on the right in the social sciences and humanities in Canada and the U.S., and it's nine to one in Britain. This work has been uh, incidentally replicated. A lot of this work, chilling effects, the work on discrimination, the work on political monoculture has been replicated, and in the U.S. case, using uh, actually quite complete samples of voter registration data uh, from at the top 60 universities by Mitchell Langbert uh, and his colleagues. So we have then this uh, closed system in which punishment and discrimination leads to chill chilling effects, self-censorship, repels political minorities like conservatives from the academy, uh, producing an ever more homogenous professoriate, um, which is closed to competing ideas. And so this is then becomes a system in which the more monocultural the environment becomes, the higher the degree of discrimination, simply because it's not because academics are worse than anybody else. It's that people tend to discriminate politically. And the more slanted, if it's 10 to 1 uh, left to right, the discrimination of the right against the left is not going to matter much compared to the left against the right. And so as this becomes more monocultural, you get worse discrimination. You also get more uh, a larger pool of activists, and you get a more permissive environment because amongst the moderate left majority, uh, there is a strong cross-pressuring between their attachment to academic freedom and their attachment to progressive aims. The combination of this means that the more monocultural, the more punishment, the more discrimination, and the cycle begins again. The only way to break this cycle, I argue, uh, in, in previous reports uh, for policy exchange is that we need something like uh, has occurred in Britain with the new white paper on academic freedom, where the government uh, actually proactively enforces the law uh, on academic freedom against universities, including the implementation of fines uh, for violations and and actively, not just passively, uh, ensures that academic freedom is promoted because it's not enough to wait for people to sue. Uh, that punishment, that the process of suing and going through tribunals is in fact a punishment that leads to self-censorship. You need the government to be proactively enforcing the law. And the last point I'm going to make really is around what the government can do on viewpoint discrimination. Uh, and here I would argue that you need to depoliticize administrative layers of the university. No university should be actively propounding. Uh, political views. The, the academics can do that, but not officials within universities. That, too, is part of British law in terms of schools that should be applied, I think, into university administrators. Uh, and finally, diversity, which is being promoted in terms of race and gender, there should be an obligation to have an equivalent. Uh, whatever action you take on, on traditional forms of diversity has to be matched, in my view, by action on political diversity to help break uh, this cycle. So I'm going to leave this um, right here and, and move to the discussion. Thanks.
Great. Thanks, Eric.